my first question is, do you guys ever sleep? Because I'm looking at your biography and like, even though it's quite a number of years, you've still done an incredible amount, especially in the last like five years, like with your, um, with the visual work as well as the, the album work. So but how do you guys fit it all in? It's a balance to put it all in. Yeah, we do sleep. I actually love sleeping, and I find it quite difficult to get up in the morning quite often. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, we we just sort of managed to pack it in. I mean, I guess, yeah, I suppose my dad's an artist, and I, I suppose I'm an artist, really. And, yeah. um, you know, to, for me to be an artist is is that one one's work and one's life are sort of, intermingled there is no separation and okay. so uh, apart from my work and sleeping and having a life with my family I don't really do a lot of other stuff I don't really have hobbies for instance okay um, I find that my you know, my time is, is is filled with what I love doing and different aspects of it I don't really need hobbies um, I don't know if Jonathan feels the same I think he does Yes, that's uh, more of a well-rounded life in some ways, but um, he certainly works very hard as well. And we just love what we do, and that's a full-time occupation, so uh, we fit in as much as possible. Yeah, cool. Um, with the Ninja Train label, do you guys have like a great say in, in what artists go in there? Is it like is it all kind of like you two deciding who get, gets in and who doesn't, or do you have like kind of is it kind of filtered out now that you're a little bit more established? We have a the Ninja Tribe who run the label collectively really I mean you know Peter Quick who's the managing director mm -hmm. and he has the sort of ultimate say on all matters with Jonathan and me if there's anything that really needs the directors to actually you know debate on particularly important points as far as sort of deciding who gets signed to the label um, there's a sort of consensus that uh, comes from the, the people that we've got working there who are all sort of major music heads which is why they're at Ninja Tune rather than than uh, you know, working somewhere else. Mm -hmm. um, they're all music lovers, and so all of them have opinions that are worth listening to. And out of those, a sort of consensus on what is worth finding and what is worth putting out emerges. John and I are not um, centrally involved in that. We don't sort of throw our weight around. It's more a question of sort of getting information from the different people who are kind of censors. Each person who likes music represents a section of the music buying audience yeah. who, who might buy a record so by listening to them all if you find a record that the majority of people can dig then you know that you're on to a winner so I guess that's what we try and do with our, our ninja noses yeah cool um, now with the album um, how did you choose who to work with was it like just you when you wrote the song you knew who you had in mind for it or was it the other way people would come to you? It's not so much people coming to us as trying ahead with ideas which turn into tracks and then thinking about who would be good to, to collaborate with to do a vocal on. Mm -hmm. um, in the case of John Spencer we had that chorus for everything under control yep. and uh, the 
John, my partner, put it, but it seemed like a kind of put on the monitor kind of moment. So we were looking for someone with that kind of rock character and energy to front it. And we did try out a couple of people that didn't work out. And then John Spencer was suggested. Um, so we contacted him and that was great uh, that was great great place to work with. Yeah. It didn't didn't handle the forty page contract. I just said, yeah, I'd like to try it, okay, I'll give it a go, um, and then we'll sort out a deal afterwards. And that's actually worked out really well, because he's been doing some live dates with us, which have been off the hook, because he's a great live performer, so he brings that kind of rock guitar energy and charisma to, to the track, and it's been going over really well, so that's been a great result. Oh, that um, sounds cool. Some of the other tracks, uh, we've done, you know, with little or no brief, um, for the artist at all. The yep. Saul Williams track was really just presented to him as a, a, a track with a, a free canvas to do whatever he wanted on. Rather than giving him a sort of banging, sort of high energy track, though, as he's known as the telemetrist, and we, we put out some, uh, a pyrotist called the Pledge to Resist, not in our name, which was a, a really strong anti war track, I don't know. Yeah. Um, we put that out on Institute, so that was our sort of first uh, collaboration with him. Um, but we didn't, we, we don't tell the poet what to write a poem about, so, um, well, in that case, in that case, it was appropriate to imitate the free canvas, and he just came back with this rather marvellous poem with the nickels, which, to my money, would be my favourite track on the album. So each, each of the tracks has been different. Yeah, um, I've noticed something common to a lot of the tracks, like the the Roots Maneuver one and the um, uh, what is it called, um, the Boogeyman one, and yeah. um, Island Earth. They've got that kind of the dance floor, almost two step vibe. Um, and I was reading on your website that you did lots of remixes of um, some some reggae stuff. Is is that like kind of follows on from the the remixes you did of the Trojan stuff? That's more the other way around, actually. Oh, okay. Um, I, I think what you're talking about is, is really ragga rhythms, or you know that. Yeah. It's, it's Jamaican style electronic rhythm. Yeah, yeah. And we've we've been working a lot on the album with a guy called Ross Allen, who's a very switched on London sub DJ who we use as a sort of sounding board for the album and to keep us in touch with sort of uh, what's going on on the dance floors at the moment and just as a sort of um, alternative perspective for the, the sort of ninja tunes posse yep. someone outside of that who yeah shared a lot of common ground but, and it was he really who turned me on to um, you know, these new Jamaican rhythms and he used to come in every week or so with uh, a bunch of new seven inches that he got down uh, Blacker Dread or one of these full um, Brixton yep. record shops and I, I've always loved reggae and I, I always found Jamaica a sort of very fertile uh, kind of feeding ground for new ideas they sort of take bits of technology but they tend to get them a bit after everyone else yeah um, but then they tend to use them in some way that hasn't been thought of. And that's just happened quite often in music. I mean, that's really how dub music came out. You know, Pink Tubby and Ben getting hold of these uh, echo chambers and stuff a, a bit after the, the rest of the rock world was had them, but using them in a totally different way. So Jamaica's always an inspiration, and those rhythms are J.A. style rhythms, um, and it was rock that 
typically thoughts come out slightly different, but I think you can still feel the original genetic material in there. Yeah, um, I really like the artwork because um, I got sent the, um, the like the seven-inch cover for the CD. Yeah. Um, did yeah. you guys do that yourselves? No, uh, there's a good little story behind that. Okay. The guy who, who's done 95% of Mr. Tune's artwork over the years is a guy called Strictly Kev. Yep. He is half of DJ Spoon. So he's an amazing DJ and music maker. But he's also a pop graphic artist with a, a style that's very much defined Ninja Tune over the years. Um, and he did all the artwork for the last Polka album. And the Colca album was always a big project for Ninja Tune and it was going to be a phenomenal amount of work. Yeah. It, it coincided with Kev becoming a father to two fine bouncing boys. <laughs> and so he knew. Um, and I say Kev is one of the most talented, well-organized, pleasant, less, least egotistical people that I know. And he actually runs his life in quite a sort of... <laughs> it seems that he actually has a plan with his life which seems to work, which <laughs> I find at the same time I'm slightly jealous of, also quite inspiring. So Kev knew ahead of time that he was unlikely to have the time to do the Colca album. So he told us that regrettably he wasn't going to be able to do it, but that he would find us someone. And he found us a, a, a young guy called Nigel Peake and got this guy's stuff to look at, and everyone was like, well, this is pretty interesting. Let's throw this guy a few ideas and see what he comes back with. So we had an exchange with Nigel about what we wanted for a new coal cup logo and stuff like that. And he came back with some brilliant ideas and everyone went, yes, this is the guy who wanted to do it. And actually he's just straight out of art school. This is his first ever commissioned job, I believe. Oh, wow. So he's, he's quite made up about it and we're made up and everyone really likes the artwork. So you're another person that's, that's flashed on it. My mum and dad really like it. So they're both into graphics and art and they uh, the mark how, how much they like uh, the artwork. So um, he seems to be doing it. So respect and critique and strictly care for finding us another Cool. Um, with the, the video clips you've done so far, um, are they directed by you? Um, no, they're not. Actually, okay. we've had little involvement in those, and that was a conscious decision Okay. Um, work with a bunch of video directors who are artists, really, and given pretty much a free hand in doing interpretations of the, of the music. The only sort of rule we gave was that we weren't actually going to appear in the video. Okay. And so the, you know, the, the, sh the short film is a sort of popular concept at the moment, and I, I can totally see that I'm into short films. And um, so the idea was to commission a bunch of short films by up-and-coming directors and give them a free hand to do what they could do. Um, I'm fairly pleased with the results, and there is going to be a DVD with them all along, which will probably come out in the summer. Cool. Yeah, because um, I remember the previous album, I really liked... Um, uh, the film clip for Timber and the other one oh, I can't remember the name but Natural it, Rhythm yeah that's the one yeah yeah well they were done with Hexstatic yeah with the, uh, the R&D the audiovisual department I set up a number of years ago with uh, a guy called Ron Peckle and, and Stuart Warren Hill joined and, and uh, kicked off the film project um, and those are different videos because they are they're not just videos they're audiovisual pieces yeah
so much of that on it. Um, it is a particular interest of mine, and I actually had a bit of a tussle with Ninja Tune about how much of that should be on there, but in the end we decided to leave with the music and come with the audiovisual stuff later. What there is on the album, though, which explores that direction, perhaps a, you know, a, a, you know, a different way that people can try themselves, is a copy of our VChub 3 software. Yeah. And that comes with a bunch of audiovisual samples, including what I call video breakbeats, which I made with a guy called Jungle Drummer a couple of weeks ago. Okay. And uh, so I filmed him playing drums and took that, those samples and chopped them up. So they're video breakbeats, and you get a set of them on the CD with VJAM, and you can experiment yourself with being a, a audiovisual rhythm jockey. And I think playing with that for a couple of minutes will do more than a thousand words that I've just found out about the value of audiovisual composition and performance and how funky it is. So that's a slightly different direction that we've taken on that side of things at the moment. But we have done more audiovisual work than you'll probably see on the DVD when it comes out. Yeah, it sounds like I'm going to have to get the proper version as well as the press release I've got. Well, one thing we've done is with the, the, the CD, the official CD, which will be out on the 30th, is that it has a unique serial code on it. And that means that people who buy a legitimate CD will be able to access the website, the IP area, where there'll be kind of goodies, extra videos, extra tracks, and so on. So um, that's one thing we've done to try and encourage people to actually shut out for a CD rather than just downloading it from the file network. Um, you guys um, fully embrace the web, um, haven't you? Like you've been one of the like I, I remember like Ninja Tune uh, website always being there. Is is that yeah. something which has been positive for you guys? Like especially in terms of like downloads, like legal downloads and legal downloads and that kind of stuff. The, the web is like anything. It's like a hammer. You can use it to build a house, or you can hit someone over the head with it. <laughs> how you use it and it, it contains both uh, you know internet potential for good and evil uses and everything in between so even with something like downloading it's difficult to say whether it's good or not it's good in that it spreads the ninja virus far and wide it's bad in that if people just download tracks and don't buy any albums will go out of business um, I, I, I was discussing actually of I'm looking out books for my son, and I thought, oh great, well I can get him the neuromancer with William Gibson. Yeah. You know those books? Yeah, I'm actually reading, oh sorry, I'm actually reading Snow Crash at the moment. Snow Crash? Yeah, yeah. Fine, yeah. fine work. Um, you know, actually I was wondering how those books would seem now, post The Matrix films, which kind of just suck a lot of ideas out of them and put them in a sort of very exciting digestible form. Yeah. But, uh, I still think they're, they're great books and they certainly had a big influence on me. And uh, I, further back than that, I read The Shockwave Rider in 1975 by John Brunner, which was a, an earlier book which um, prefigured the sort of cyberpunk thing and the computer and networking revolution in a very exciting way. And I was very struck by that book as a teenager. I did write the original Ninja Tune website a few years ago, and typically, you know, I thought I kick things off, and then um, other people get interested in them, and then I sort of pass them on to other people to develop once I get on with something else. So that's happened for the the site for this certain You know, the kind of today they HTML and PHP and so on, it's so complicated that it's a full-time job to do that. I don't have time, so we have a 
Um, and my final question is, because I have to wrap up soon, is like, um, you're very political. You have been on all your albums. Um, well, the lot, well, the ones you've done for Ninja Tune. Um, has that ever backfired in any way? So you've had negative kind of responses from, like, you know, fans or radio stations or anything like that? No, I think people generally accept our sort of political stuff. I mean, it's interesting that there's a company, Clear Channel, who I'm quite suspicious of, and there's a tendency for the big media companies to gobble up, or lots of other companies, so that they end up actually controlling, you know, it looks as if they're going to end up controlling all the venues, yeah. all the radio stations, all the hoardings where you can put a advert, and maybe the record labels as well. I mean, that is sort of totalitarian in scope, really, and I don't think it's very healthy. And they have the reputation of um, a sort of, you know, boycotting people that speak out against them. Quite a, you know, quite a discussion a couple of years ago about this sort of monopoly on things. Yeah. I actually was playing in quite a few clear channel venues, and I haven't noticed any discrimination. But, um, the hold on piece of that at the moment. Um, Cool. I, think, I, I, I don't know. I'm sure the CIA are listening to this conversation, so I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Thank you very much for your time. It's, it's been Julian, a great... Julian, yeah? What's that? Julian, yes, that's right. Julian. Okay, yeah. all right. Thanks very much. Yes. Thanks for Come and see us somewhere over. Where are you both? Um, I'm in Adelaide, but um, like last time you went to Sydney and Mel and I went to see you in Sydney. I do a lot of travelling because Adelaide misses out on a lot. But yeah, um... I would definitely. So, are you coming down soonish? Uh, not soonish. Not soonish. In the, in the foreseeable future, we're discussing Australian dates at the moment. Um, but the, most of this year is fairly booked up. But we're hoping to get over soon. Yeah. Sooner rather than later. And it is on the agenda, so hold tight. Yeah, well, last time I saw you, it's, it's still up there, like about. Well, it's probably number one up there with the best gigs I've ever seen, so... Thank you very much, yes. We'll definitely come along, come yep. check us out, and then come and tell us what you think of it, see if you think we're uh, we're still hitting the target. I'm, I'm totally always open to criticism. We're, we're quite hard on ourselves. Grandma Sefrat said in an interview a couple of years ago, I want to be a master of my trade, and I don't feel I'm there yet. And I feel exactly the same. It's a lifetime's work to sort of protect myself, but, um, you know, Tell us if we go soft or if we think we go off, but uh, come and give us some feedback anyway. Yeah, okay, I definitely will. Right. Thank okay. you very much for your time. Cheers, Julia. Okay, see ya. Goodbye. Bye.